0: Hurricanes, hailstorms, tornadoes, and wildfires, these are just some of the weather hazards that displace families and disrupt lives. Many of us are familiar with the scenes of devastation these hazards cause and the recovery process for affected communities can take months, even years. In the most extreme circumstances, some may never be whole again. This may prompt many of you to ask, What's being done to reduce the risks associated with these hazards? To answer this question, the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety presents the Disaster Discussions Podcast. Join me, your host, Armand Brody, as I sit down with professionals in the insurance, science, construction, and resiliency industries who will help us explore the intersection of these hazards with the built environment. We'll bring you in-depth conversations with experts from across the country and highlight how science is engineering real-world solutions for home and business owners to create safer, more resilient communities. Join us for these discussions every month. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, go subscribe to the Disaster Discussions podcast on your favorite podcast app. We also invite you to engage with us on social media to ask your questions, share your thoughts, and to learn more about the IBHS mission. From the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, this is the Disaster Discussions Podcast, where we explore the intersection of weather and the built environment. I'm your host, Armand Brody. We're wrapping up a special series of episodes, four parts from the SLS Conference, the Severe Local Storms Conference in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hopefully you've had a chance to enjoy episodes one through three. And as we wrap up our fourth episode, we sit down with Dr. Tanya Brown-Jamanco, who is the Director of Disaster Studies at NIST. As we learned about in the previous episode, Episode 3, with Jim Ledoux, one of the subcommittees formed to standardize the EF scale focuses on restructuring the available damage indicators and degrees of damage used in tornado damage surveys. Dr. Tanya Brown-Jamanco chairs this subcommittee and has spent her career working towards improving this rating system. Hear how she hopes to do this and how its standardization could help private and insurance industry partners begin to understand the true nature of tornado risk in this country. Dr. Tanya brown jimenko wraps up episode four, our final episode in this series of extraordinary episodes that we're bringing you on the podcast from the SLS Conference. Here it is.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back here to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Again, we're at the 30th Annual Severe Local Storms Conference, uh, part of the AMS uh, conference series. And now we're joined by our second guest for the day. We spoke to Jim Ledoux earlier, and now we have Dr. Tanya Brown-Giomenko, um, also at NIST, And Tanya there, um, you're the Director of Disaster and Failure Studies. Um, so thanks so much for taking the time uh, at the conference to join us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah. So we um, just to kind of recap for our viewers, so we had a great discussion um, talking about the, the ways that we measure wind and how we scale the damage right we want to have a consistent standard and previously the the es scale that we have, we have used everyone is so um, familiar with probably the most familiar way that we uh, rate uh, wind speeds um, it's a complicated process but we need something that is more of a, a standard going forward and in the past we have not really had that we've had so many different new observation methods that are out there for us we need to find a way to incorporate those but we kind of have to start from scratch. Uh, with the scale itself, right? Yeah, so,
2: I mean, the way we've rated tornadoes forever is a damage-based method. And, um, you know, that's really the best that we could do for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And there was no other way to do it um, that was systematic and documented, um, but we know it's not right. Like mm-hmm. there's no measurements or anything behind mm-hmm. the the damage intensity scales themselves. So um, we've been working for a long time on coming up with ways to standardize both the EF scale but then several other methods that have really mm-hmm. come about in the last 20 years or so right. uh, that give us a much better chance at understanding the true wind speed mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a subjective damage-based evaluation right. like you get from the Fujita scale or the enhanced mm-hmm. Fujita scale.
1: Yeah. And so, and but before we get into kind of the nitty gritty details, let's talk about a little bit your, your history, right? Because, you know, you were previously uh, with us um, at mm-hmm. IVHS. And so, um, and even in your time at Texas Tech University, uh, in the PhD program there, that's, that's when this new, uh, ES Dale, uh, was launched. And so, um, it's really that common career thread for you, right? It's one of your things that you're very passionate about.
2: Yes. Um, I actually did my very first damage survey while I was a student at Texas Tech mm-hmm. one day after the National Weather Service implemented the EF scale. Wow. So they implemented it on February 1st of 2007, and on February 2nd, there was a series of tornadoes in central Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went with one of the Texas Tech researchers out there, uh, Larry Tanner, and did my first damage investigation at that point. Mm-hmm. I already knew I was interested in the damage aspects of wind. That's what took me to Texas Tech. Um, But that was my first time in the field, and so getting to use this brand new scale, seeing how it worked, seeing um, all the things that were so different about it compared to the Vegeta scale um, was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And um, in my dissertation, I actually did use the EF scale to rate damage to houses, mm-hmm. um, ultimately I was trying to come up with a methodology to relate what you would see in a remote sensing or an aerial image to what you would relate that to on the ground using the EF scale uh, degrees of damage basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been working with the EF scale for basically my entire professional career. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of my first, um, time with this particular committee was still when I was a student, Jim held a, what he called a stakeholders group meeting Mm -hmm. um, back in Norman in 2010. And Frank Lombardo and I drove over there from Lubbock and participated and really got to kind of hear what people were thinking about the scale. It had been out for a few years. Um, They, you know, lots of people had comments about its use, places where it was really great, places where maybe it could be strengthened even further. And we all left that meeting kind of thinking, wow, there's some things that we could do to make this cool method even better. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, how do you actually do that was kind of the question. Um, you know, do we call up the professors at Texas Tech that introduced the ES scale and right. say, hey guys, why don't you change it? Um, they didn't really set it up in a way to do that. I mean, I guess we could have, um, if we had begged Dr. Mehta enough, he probably right. would have done something else. But, um, you know, we kind of stayed in touch over the years. And then um, after the NIST-Joplin report came out, um, there was a recommendation, um, and Frank was a a big part of crafting that, to find a way to update the the enhanced Fujita scale Mm -hmm. and also very specifically to put in a method to do it, a method um, that would kind of set up who was the owner, who was going to be doing the process of updating. Um, So I was still at IBHS by that point, obviously. And uh, Jim reached out and said, hey, you know, we're we're forming this committee and you've been around doing this stuff for a long time. And he originally tapped me in to chair the remote sensing committee. Um, But then we had uh, a couple of things go on. um, And the person that was tapped to chair the EF scale subcommittee actually passed away in the very first few months. So I switched over to take that role on mm-hmm. um, and then recommended that Arm Wobble mm-hmm. move into the remote sensing um, subcommittee chair. So um, really enhanced Vegeta Scale has been mm-hmm. around my entire career. And it's something that was very easy for me to transition from working on IBHS to working on a NIST. It's it's in NIST core to standardize mm-hmm. the way that we do things. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a standards
1: organization. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and kind of um bringing back some of the discussion that I had with Jim, you know, he was like, at first we went to NIST because, you know, standards are in the name. So sure they would, they would you like to own this? <laughs> um, but then he came to know um, the American society of civil engineers, which I, is ultimately the group that is, kind of owning this, correct? So that they are kind of the parent owner of the main committee. And then we have your subcommittee. So let's tell, talk a little bit about what your subcommittee is specifically looking at. What is, what are some of the main goals? So my goal, uh, my
2: subcommittee has the goal of making the EF scale a standard, number one. Um, so the way that it's written now, um, the, the legacy 2006 publication, uh, from Texas Tech is, um, it's sort of written like a technical report. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, there's information, there's, Graphs, there's figures, there's tables, things like that. Um, one thing that it's definitely missing is um, basically like a procedure or a methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to make the scale a standard, that's something that we have to introduce. We have to have definitions for terms. We like we actually have to define what is a degree of damage. Right. It's, it's kind of implied in mm-hmm. the original EF scale, but it's not explicitly stated. Right. Um, so we're defining all of those things. We're coming up with a procedure for how do you actually do it? Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you actually use the scale? And that involves describing to a user um, that, you know, you look at the characteristics of the building, you look at the associated damage, but you can slide the wind speed in between, we're calling them resistances now, as Mm -hmm. opposed to upper and lower bounds. Um, But we have to tell the user how to do that. Um, We're also making major updates to um, the DIs, not in the sense of changing the wind speeds very large amounts, mm-hmm. but really trying to get to a standardization. One of the easy examples that we can kind of point to is when you look at the 2006 EF scale, um, if you look at the, the DI table for houses versus something like apartments or motels, mm-hmm. those typically have the same kind of roof coverings. But if you actually look at the wind speed, that's listed to cause damage Mm -hmm. to roof covering, it's not the same between those two building types. But the shingles that are on that building don't care if they're on a house or a motel, it's the same shingle. Right, right. So we've spent a huge amount of time making sure that we've got consistencies both in the language itself from DI to DI, but also in the wind speeds. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of what we've been doing is, is very fine tuning, I'd say, of the existing damage indicators but there's a couple of instances where we've, um, combined Mm -hmm, them. Um, so instead of, um, uh, elementary schools and then the junior and, and high schools. We have schools,
1: right? Um, Jim had mentioned that that you know, it, it, to your point, it's like, do we really need to section them out? You know, if, you know we might just dis- discriminate between one or two story buildings, which are going to have different wind loads, right? So those are kind of changes that you would make.
2: Yeah, and you can you can deal with that more in the the changing of the wind speed amongst the resistance as opposed to needing like a whole new fresh di. The changes are not that different. Mm-hmm. The difference between a low rise building, which is like three stories high in a high rise building that's, you know, 30 stories high, right. that's a different story. But um, we've combined uh, the damage indicators where it makes sense to do so. And then we're also introducing several new damage indicators. And these are mostly intended to fill in gaps in the rural areas of the mm-hmm. country. So we undoubtedly in our climatological record have a large number of tornadoes that are by default rated EF zero or EF unknown because there was nothing for them
1: to hit. Right. And that's, that's the only standard we have. If we, right. if it doesn't hit anything, technically we can't rate it. But right. That does skew our climatology too. We and need so to that's, know. yeah. So that's
2: <laughs> one small piece, but there are times also when it does hit something that's out there, but those some things are not right. a DI. So things like um, center pivot irrigation systems, vehicles, um, thinking about some of the agricultural things, um, farm silos and grain bins. Um, so so the Canadians have been using that for a while in the Canadian EF scale. But we're bringing some of those things that might help us fill in those gaps where we currently don't have information to try to give um you know surveyors and and weather service personnel in those more rural areas something to base right. it on mm-hmm. um cuz right now you know by definition you can't have a tornado mm-hmm. um that's of a really high intensity if you can't get there with an ef scale value mm-hmm. so um that's a, a whole nother yeah. <laughs> controversy that we're trying to solve but mm-hmm. in terms of the ef scale itself um we're, we're making things more consistent di to di mm-hmm. we're introducing new damage indicators um and and really standardizing the process mm-hmm. and providing um, what we call a commentary um, that's mm-hmm. common in in the in the way standards are built mm-hmm. um, to explain why did we do it this way why did we make this change in no speed why why whatever the case may be, it's all detailed out mm-hmm. um, so that the user can understand why it's done that way and why it's potentially different from what's mm-hmm. in the original scale.
1: And this, I think, too, when we, you know, honing in and fine-tuning the scale, that can also help, as as Jim was talking about, when we're incorporating these other methods of, of wind detection, we've got Doppler radars, we've got uh, vegetation, looking at that from the remote sensing uh, perspective as well, and trying to look at these different things, uh, and that way we can kind of you know, where there might be deficiencies in ES scale, we can make up the difference here, but we actually have a way to apply it because it's written, as you mentioned, as a standard where we can actually go in and, and make changes to it and, and do it in a way that the user and user understands the reasoning behind it.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think you you hit on kind of a, a big point. Sometimes there is more observations and information than just the damage. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't it be nice if we could use those things together to come up with an even better rating. I, I have no doubt that if you had a tornado where you had only one method that worked versus mm-hmm. where you had one that four or five methods were at play, you'd probably come up with a better result if you could use all four or five of the methods um, to come up with an ultimate wind speed. Right. So I think there's lots of opportunity um, that will come out of this standard once we're done with it. Right. Um,
1: and so speaking of getting to the finished product, so I know that um, the way that we're updating these changes um, you know, we, we've talked about this where there's there's a little bit of a system that has that's involved there as well. You can't just go. One person says, "Oh, I think we need to incorporate this." Okay, great. Let's add it in there and write it in, and it, then it becomes a part of the new scale. So, what is that process like? Because I, I believe it's iterative and somewhat complicated sometimes. <laughs> yeah, um, so by
2: taking the EF scale and, and this whole notion that Jim started um, over to ASCE, mm-hmm. we were basically signing up for what's called an ANSI-based process. So in that process, you have to have balanced membership on your committee. You can't have, in this case, 70 weather service people and, and, you know, one manufacturer and good one academic. Yeah, you have to have even representation. And, um, you make proposals and you vote on those proposals and whatever the votes say, people are allowed to comment, uh, as part of their voting process. And you as the committee have to address those comments and either say, yeah, this is a good comment. We're going to take it into account and make a change or this is not relevant or it's new business or we're going to do it next time. But you have to address every single comment. Um, so in that process, um, we, we go through lots of different steps, and the various subcommittees are at different points in that process right now. Um, but it does involve having the members vote on what we're putting on the table. Mm-hmm. So for standards that are already in place, the votes are basically track changes to what's mm-hmm. there, or every once in a while, there's a, you know, a brand new proposal. But for us, starting from scratch, we can't just take the regular original EF scale and put it on the table because it's right. not written as a standard. Right. There's certain ways that you have to write it. The way that you phrase the language um, is, is uh, a factor, um, but you put it through a balloting process and you get the full committee membership a, a chance to vote on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you go back and make changes based on their votes. And then you validate again, and then they can make comments again. Um, and you can go through this cycle multiple times. Um, where we're at with, with the EF scale committee right now, um, the ASCE leadership has kind of said, okay, we've gone through enough iterations. Right. Um, if people are introducing new things in the ballots, let's put them off to version two, um, so that we can go ahead and get this across the finish line. Mm-hmm. But, um, we've got, you know, we've got 30 DIs plus a procedure and definitions and mm-hmm. some things have been balloted no times and most things have been balloted one, two, three, or even up to five times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a very complex process. And I'd say having the EF scale committee or subcommittee, it's the biggest. And it's the one where people have the most opinions. Right. <laughs> um, some of the other subcommittees are quite a bit smaller. And a lot of the people that are on the main committee may or may not feel comfortable voting on some of the other processes. Mm-hmm. But everybody has an opinion right. on the EF scale because it's the way we've done things, you know, right. for, for, uh, 15 years, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're making progress. And, um, I'm really excited to eventually have it done. Um, one of my career goals, I don't know if you remember in my office at Reese at Texas Tech, we had <laughs> the, the whiteboard of ideas. Uh-huh. One of them that was written on there was to validate or fix the EF scale.
1: Uh-huh. And, um, you know, this yeah. is, this is my way to do it. Yeah. I think you're um, well on your way and you're, you know, you're, you're definitely in the right position to do that. And so, um, I think it's going to be great. Um, just, you know, having learned about all these changes as we've gone through these presentations. Excuse me, here at, um, SLS so far this week, we're only halfway through and there's still more, more to go. But, um, seeing all the different pieces that are coming together, um, and kind of getting some of the background knowledge of that. There's a lot of really smart, really, um, passionate people that are working on this. You as, you are one of them. So I think that by working together across all of these groups, you're really going to make a, a finished product that's going to be great in the future. So, um, once we do kind of get that finished product, how do you, how do you see this, um, what kind of changes do you see being uh, resulting from this coming out? I mean, how can people in the private sector and in, in insurance industry try and benefit from something like this? Obviously the weather service um, who is going to be out there implementing the scale engineers um, as they do damage surveys, that's going to impact them. But curious what your thoughts are on the other organizations as well.
2: I mean, I think from uh, kind of the insurance perspective, to me, it's all about the risk, mm-hmm. the way that we characterize Tornado risk in this country is foundationally based on the F scale and then the EF scale um, with the introduction of an even better EF scale and radar based methodologies and tree fall based methodologies, I think we're going to have a better look at what the true risk in the country is. It wouldn't surprise me to find out that, I mean, if you think about the classic graph you see, the highest number of tornadoes is EF0 and it tapers down. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if you actually had um, some kind of normal distribution where your peak is actually like EF3. Mm-hmm. Um, again, by definition, a lot of things get rated EF0 because there's no other opportunity. Now that we're working on getting some of these other methodologies in there, I think I don't think that'll be the case anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think EF0 will be the predominant um, classification anymore. I think we'll see higher wind speeds and that um, ultimately has a big a big effect on the risk perspective uh, and the climatology mm-hmm. of, of tornadoes in this country. Mm-hmm. That's where I think the insurance industry needs to
1: be paying attention. Right, right. And I mean, um, I, I had a question there and I just lost it for a second. But um so, yeah, so that that's definitely a major positive. Um, and you talked about um, the changing risk. Um, how do we think that this could maybe work backwards and start impacting building codes? Because codes are, that's something that goes, is baked into the EF scale, right? We have to see not just what the wind is doing to a structure. We also have to consider the structure itself, age, pra- construction practice, location, age of building code. So um, given that risk, does that kind of, Am I asking the right question? Does that factor back into building codes that way? Well,
2: I th- so I think one major difference that you'll see in the new EF scale when it's published is that again, we're not focusing on this lower bound wind speed versus upper bound wind speed. That's gone away. What we are focusing on is wind speed resistance. Mm-hmm. So is it weaker than typical resistance? Is it typical resistance or is it stronger than typical resistance? And we go through for each damage indicator, what that means. Mm-hmm. Um So, um, Having an understanding of what materials are used, how well those are connected, how well it can go through the load path, uh, transfer those loads that's the kind of information that will help the user or that's the kind of information that the user needs to be able to decide you know is my wind speed actually on the lower end or is it in the upper ben- uh, the upper end and I think um, to some degree that would give a chance um, to talk about what the true wind speeds are that affect a community. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you see uh, is that people often believe that the absolute worst or fastest or highest grade tornado affected them, or hurricane, or fill-in-the-blank mm-hmm. hazard. But I'm I'm curious to see if once we say, you know, actually, you know, the construction practices here, you know, were weaker than typical, so the wind speed was only this, does that start to trigger some recognition mm-hmm. that oh, so it's not just the tornado that affected how much damage I got. It's the building itself that affected exactly. how much damage I got. So I think there's kind of an indirect tie there with uh, the building code aspect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are places where the building code is really strengthened. Um, you know, we just got um, tornado loads and tornado maps into ASCE 7, which is the mother document of of kind of all building codes. Mm-hmm. And so the the attention to... Tornadoes, I think, is there in the engineering space. And I think the Fujita or the enhanced Fujita scale additions and what we're doing
1: with that ASCE standard is only going to help in that, Mm -hmm. in that world. Yeah, and I think you're right. You, you, you mentioned, you made a good point about, you know, people when you get impacted by a tornado, it's a very personal event and understandably yeah. so. Uh, when you see some of these images, um, of destruction, where you see how homes wiped off their foundation, we even had someone, uh, ask a question, one of the ES scale presentations today, talking about the, the, uh, the changes that are going to be made. And they brought back, well, when we see typically in the past, when we have seen clean slabs, that's an indicator of an EF five. an F5 tornado. That's not necessarily the case. We assume that the house was even able, it was even built to withstand, you know, those winds in the first place. It might have only made it to an EF2 or 3 because of those construction practices before it ultimately failed. So you're right. It it is, it's, it's all complementary, right? The way that we're building the scale, the way that we apply it, it's all complementary and has to be back um, together. But I'm curious, what do you think, without with all with any new change, right? We know the process has gone through it. We understand why the change was made. Um and being a public communicator myself, there's probably gonna be some difficulty in people trying to understand, well, what is this? What's the difference? Why does it matter? Like yeah. wait, what is it is it is an EF4 still an EF four? Like what is the difference? So yeah. What do you kind of anticipate down the road with that? I mean I obviously there's a challenge and yeah. that's probably the next step. You may not have thought about that yet. Oh well, no, I've thought about it. <laughs> um so
2: I mean, one of the things I didn't mention in, in terms of kind of the process of creating a standard is we will go into a period that's called the public comment period. Mm-hmm. And it's literally that. So right now, you know, all the people that are providing input and drafts and edits and things like that are all people that are on the committee. Mm-hmm. Um, people from the public are welcome to come to the meetings, but they don't get to vote. Yeah. Um, when we go to public comment, the whole world Everybody. can comment. And so... You know, I can kind of imagine that the number of comments that come in for the ESCL chapter will probably be significantly higher than all the other chapters put together. Mm -hmm. And again, we'll have to address all of those different comments. I think a lot of people will have a lot to say Mm -hmm. about what we're doing. But, I mean, foundationally, there's a couple things that we're not changing the EF number itself is, we're not changing. Mm-hmm. So the wind speeds that are EF1, and the wind speeds that are EF2, those are going to be side. the same. We're not mm-hmm. changing that. The places that we're making the changes is in the DIs. And we're not making crazy changes. Like we're not suddenly saying that some degree of damage that used to take... 75 mile per hour wind is now taking 130 right like these are like 5 and 10 mile an hour tweaks where we've learned a little bit more or where we're trying to again bring kind of a systematic nature between different damage indicators so uh, i hope that people will see the value in what we're trying to do that we're trying to make it make more sense When the EF scale was created, it was the the wind speeds themselves were basically created by six guys Mm -hmm. who were shown photos and said, what wind speed do you think it takes to create that damage? (laughs) And. They kind of took an average of what those six guys said. Um, now we've got hundreds of people involved. We do have more data and more information that's mm-hmm. been collected using the EF scale. We do have some of these cases where there are, um, you know, wind speed measurements um, that have been nearby that can help refine. So mm-hmm. I hope that people instead of latching onto the fact that there's changes, we'll latch onto the fact that there's a reason for the changes. Mm-hmm. It's not just, we said, oh, let's see if we can shake things up. Yeah. <laughs> um, we we tried to be very conscious about the changes that we're making. And um, we are going to a standard. If you really look at the EF scale as it's written now, and you compare DI to DI to, to, to DI, even the language that's used to describe the same basic damage state mm-hmm. is not the same. Right. So even just making that the same right. um, is is part of what we're trying to do. We're not changing the intent, but um, we're trying to make it much more systematic. So mm-hmm. I hope people will understand there's intention behind every
1: everything that's changed. Yes, exactly. And and the whole goal in this was to make it better. We identified those deficiencies and we we got together and we said, how can we make it better and do it in a systematic and organized way that can benefit everyone? And if we need to make further updates in the future, we can do that in a methodical way. And that's a key point. Because again, yeah. right now, what do you do? You write to the Texas Tech
2: crew and yeah.
1: say hey update the standard.
2: I mean exactly. Dr. Meta has basically said no. Um, you know you guys are the, the new generation go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, now by establishing it in, in ASCE when we're ready to do version two you could submit a proposal and say yeah. you know what there's this new damage indicator or I want to propose a damage indicator for corn and you show yeah. some wind speed tests on right. corn and how they create damage you got a proposal you get people to buy in and vote for it and boom Right. you're part of the standard yeah. um, and and asCE requires an, a process every um every five six seven years to refresh the standard mm-hmm. so there will be opportunity to to make additional upgrades and changes um mm-hmm. throughout yeah. its life it it, it it now it kind of lives forever there mm-hmm. will be a way
1: to constantly change it as we learn right. more right and and that's and that's a good point that, that I want to end on is like we're in science, that, that's our goal is to learn more. That's what every single presenter has been out there doing this week. They're learning more, sharing those results and collaborating so that we can all learn more and, and make things better. And that's that's ultimately what we're all trying to do to ultimately make home safer. That's our goal at IBHS. That's your goal. That's a lot of our goals here. So yeah. Um, well, it's been uh, great and very enlightening talking to both you and Jim. I think you've both brought really great perspectives and hopefully our audience really gained a lot of insight. I know I personally have kind of hearing about the history of everything and the methodical nature to this and what we hope that it's going to bring in the future. So I just want to thank um, you and, and also Jim Ledoux for joining us today. We've learned a lot. We'll definitely we'll have you guys back. Hopefully, I told Jim, I was like, we'll have to have you guys back when it's done it's published. and published <laughs> and it's out and we'll all be popping champagne. <laughs> uh, yes, um, it's been
2: a long a long journey. But, I mean, it's one that I think, you know, both of us as individuals are, are totally dedicated to. Um, you wouldn't put in this amount of work if if you weren't. Um, so it's it's been a pleasure to work on it for really, you know, almost 15 years
1: in various ways. And... Um, I'll be really excited to get it out. Yeah, awesome. Well, we'll be very excited to see it. And I know the viewers and listeners will be as well. So well, I just want to thank all of you viewers and listeners. Thank you so much for joining us here from Santa Fe, New Mexico at the SLS Conference. And um, don't forget to check out our uh, next episode on the Disaster Discussions podcast. We've gotten much more where all of this came from. So we'll hope you'll tune in next time. But for right now, we'll see you later. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Disaster Discussions Podcast, in IBHS production. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app or watch the podcast on our website at IBHS.org slash Disaster Discussions Podcast and the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety YouTube channel. Connect with us on our social media pages on Twitter at Disaster Safety, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disaster Safety and on Instagram at IBHS underscore org. For more great content from IBHS, including ongoing research efforts happening at our facility, episodes of our podcast, and more, visit IBHS.org.